it's Sunday morning and we've turned on the heat. Can you believe it? I know some of you don't believe I believe in heat. I, I, well, I don't. I, I, like, I like it cool. So. I turned on the heat in my house, too, all the way up to 66. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going through this little mystery moment this morning because I'm looking at the thermostat at home, and it, and it says it's supposed to be 66, and yet heat was rising. And I'm like, what, what, how she figured <laughs> a, a workaround back of, of the thermostat? What's going on? And then I remember that it's set so that it, it starts to heat up so that when it hits 6 o'clock, boom, it's at the point. And sorry. How are you all? <laughs> good, to, good to see you today. So, and, and it's good to see you. We yeah. missed you last week. Um, and and it, so the one thing that had us all unnerved is you had how many kids? I did this count like 100 times. 48. 48 kids on Southwest, uh, Southwest Airlines. So uh, we were wondering if you'd be here this Sunday. <laughs> it was a little unnerving. We, got, <laughs> we did get delayed in looking at all of the, you know, all the different boards. United's on time. American's on time. Southwest just kept pushing us back, pushing us back, pushing us back. And we made it. We did it. We're alive and we're good. <laughs> so, so it worked out well. Blake went to see Nate this week in Texas, left at midnight, I believe, and got in noon the next day. So we just... Uh, the, we're, we're doing well with this transportation the funniest thing. thing we, we got it The funniest thing with Southwest, obviously, is not having the assigned seat. And it is hilarious to watch the big group of eighth graders that all got on last. And to see that everyone who had crammed into the front, they were all safe. And then the two or three couples in the back that were like, oh, <laughs> What have we done? <laughs> the, the herd has come for you. So, so, and then the bummer, of course, you get back, and uh, Monday you're supposed to go to, no, something. Yeah, yeah Monday. Monday. You're yeah. supposed Columbus Day. You're supposed to go to a Sox game, yep. and it gets canceled because of rain. Mm -hmm. And so now they've moved it to Tuesday, and you're supposed to work. And fortunately, you were able to rearrange that. And then the game, I turned it on when the homer happened. I thought we were good luck, but then we turned it off. And then the, kept it on, the, uh, the, the bottom fell out of the boat, apparently. Here's, here's the thing I'll give Sox fans. I, I've been to a lot of playoff games uh, with the Cardinals. I've just been very fortunate. I've never seen so many people cry as they leave a stadium. Aww. So you guys, like, you get it. Aww. Baseball's real to you. I appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, sorry. Maybe, maybe next year? I don't know. <laughs> that stinks. That's so sad. So, so sad. So anything else going on in your life to update? How's Griffey? It's yeah, well. just one of those days. I haven't seen you for all week, so you all do whatever you're <laughs> going to do. We're doing family catch-up hour here. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there are things actually going on around here, too. Believe it or so not, let's, yeah. let's get over to that. You've got your weekend update that came yesterday. And, you know, there are some things here that you're, you've seen over the last couple weeks. So I wanted to say, first of all, thanks to all of you who came Friday and donated blood. We were able to get uh, 16 people who came and, and were part of the, we've never done the, the, mobile, the mobile unit before, and that was really different. In fact, I went to the check-in, and, and it, it's like really, really small. You're tight in there. And the guy said, yeah, it's like being in an airline restroom. And I'm like, you're not kidding. It was, it was tiny. And so we're sitting there going through all the check-in and everything else, but grateful to all of you that came and, and spent the time doing that. And for, for Deb Stroman, organizing that, that is one of those things that I got to say, organizing a blood drive sounds like an easy thing. It is a complicated mess. Mm -hmm. So we're grateful for all the work that she did uh, getting that together and making sure that those, those donations became a reality. Uh, we, we've got this women's event coming up here on November 5th, 
And uh, we're down to literally, the next Sunday is it in terms of registration, but it may even be before next Sunday because there's a number limit on how many people can be uh, admitted to that event. And so in light of that, if you've not signed up yet, you may want to get signed up today because once that number is hit, no mercy, it's done, mm -hmm. boom, over. So uh, make sure you get signed up. I hope I'm not wrong, but last I heard there were only like two spots left. Am I wrong in that? Couple more, couple okay. more. But yeah, okay. it's uh, it's close. It's it's going to be awesome. <clears throat> I've gotten Riley's involved in some of the planning, like for the tables and and food and things like that. So I've gotten a good sneak peek as to what you guys are going to be eating and enjoying that night. Let me tell you, it's it's very good. So get signed up, come join. It looks really good. Yeah. And then and then of course we're looking for these. Oberweiss uh, milk jugs, jugs that are going to be used for an event coming up. I, I felt like such a, you know, every once in a while, God reminds me of what an idiot I am. And so um, yesterday I went to Jewel, and mom was out of Hershey syrup. And so she had the, the empty bottles sitting out. And so I came on in. She said, did you get chocolate milk? And I said, did I know chocolate milk was out? She said, yeah, but did you get chocolate milk? I said, did you know, did I know chocolate? I'm being a real jerk, right? And, and so, and so I show her the Hershey syrup. She's like, "Yeah, but did you get chocolate milk?" I'm like, "No." <laughs> I love when God says, "You need humility. You need humility." Oh, I will be nice next week. I promise. So anyway, drink your milk. Get your milk jug in. Very helpful if you wash it out too. We appreciate that. And then finally, the Fall Fest is coming up here really, really soon. Yeah. Can't wait for that. That's going to be a, a very, very exciting event. And uh, so make sure you, you don't have to register for that, but just be aware. It's yeah. coming. It's coming. A couple things with students. Last uh, Sunday night, we had an awesome time doing the scavenger uh, picture hunt. I got to see all these pictures. I'm sitting on an hour and a half long bus ride while I'm seeing all these pictures flow in. And it, was, it, was, it looked like a, a whole lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to getting back. Uh, it's a normal tonight. We're starting a new series in both groups this week that are going to lead us up until Thanksgiving. So I definitely want to be around for that because it's going to be a good time. We also have a couple uh, more events coming up. So the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we are going to have a uh, revived Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, so that's something to be looking forward to. I know that as high school students, we think, oh, I know what I can bring. My mom makes the best. Uh, so I just want to give you a heads up that that is coming, that that request <laughs> hopefully doesn't come the Saturday before that Sunday, uh, but that's coming. Um, we're going to have a really awesome event coming back for Refuge. Donuts and Dodgeball is uh, coming back in the middle of November, so be looking out for details for that. And I also do want uh, to do a quick hype for um, our, our Turkey Bowl, so that, again, that Sunday uh, before Thanksgiving, we're going to be going out to the soccer field over at Shannon Junior High, having a big uh, flag football game. So if you'd like to be a part of that, we're just asking that you register, and we're keeping it to the high school age and up. So if you want to, to come and play, again, this is a great opportunity to bring um, family, friends, neighbors, cousins, whoever that might already be in town or might be coming into town. Uh, it's just a, a real cool way to hook in with people who are going to have fun, play the game, and play it the right way. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's, fu it's funny you mentioned series coming up. I've debated whether or not I'm going to reveal this, and I've, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead. So if Walmart can do it, if Home Depot can do it, everybody else can do it, we can do it too. We're starting our Christmas series next week, all right? Uh, we're we're going we're gonna to beat Halloween, and we're going to start our Christmas series next week. Listen, there's two kinds of people in this world. 
there are people who love Christmas and love Jesus, and there are Grinches. So don't be a Grinch. That's exciting. I'm pumped. <laughs> All right. So here's what I need you to do. And you don't know this is coming. You guys, coming at 9, you get previews <laughs> that in, in, in 1030, he has to fake it. But at 9, <laughs> we get to use right and now. abuse this, this hamster <laughs> what I, and, and what see what, what happens. So I want you to sit down on the floor, please. <laughs> This, this way, so that people sideways, you know, sit, legs out this way. Okay, good, good. Is it bad that this is a stretch for me? Uh, yeah, right. Okay, so I want you to go ahead and touch your toes. I... Touch them. Come push me. <laughs> Come on. No, I said touch your toes. No, I said touch your toes. <clears throat> Come on! As, that is literally as close as I can get. Unless oh, you I, I, don't, I don't want to hear anything okay. popping or snapping. There it is. There it is. <laughs> I revealed to you this morning one of the great genetic defects of a pap. We are utterly <laughs> inflexible. We are utterly inflexible. Our legs are not made to bend. I loved when, when Brian was on cross country, the, the coach, you know, of course, you got to go through a lot of stretching to run and whatever. And he always thought Brian was kind of like, you know, just not trying. You, you have a look of pain in your face. Are you okay? I'm still out of it. <laughs> <laughs> not proud of it. But, uh, you know, it, it, all those years of running, and, and he still could never, ever, ever, ever touch his toes. Tighter than a stretch out rubber band. And, 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 and you get that from me. You get great things from your mother, and, and you, get, you get that from me. So Appreciate it. That was actually a sermon illustration. Thank you for being part of this <laughs> morning's uh, great event. So... I appreciate it, and uh, if you want to go Can warm go up sit? for the second, feel free, but uh, I suspect it won't help. All right. Father God in heaven, we're grateful that we get to be in your house today with people who love you. Uh, I pray that as we explore what your word has to say today, that by the time we're done, in, in yet one more way, we would look a little bit more like Jesus than when we walked in the room. Uh, we love you. We thank you for sending your son to die for us, and that we get to live totally and completely for you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Amen. Uh, I got to go Friday night with Shelly to a concert. Haven't done that in a long, long time. It was actually a fulfillment of a, of a Father's Day gift, so it's, it's been a while in the making, but we got to see uh, Phil Wickham and Brandon Lake and, and Patrick, Pat Barrett all singing, leading worship together, three hours of of songs you know and love. I mean, as well as some I didn't know, but now I love. It was, it was a great, great, great time. And while we were there, uh, Phil Wickham started talking. He's, he's put out a new song recently. I think it's called Battle Belongs. It's about the idea of the battle belonging to the Lord. And I'll tell you what, if you're, if you're going through a battle right now, you're one of those people, and we have some here that are, that are facing the possibility of a job loss because of a conscientious decision that they're making, if you're, if you're just going through a, a health battle, a mental, a mental uh, battle, an emotional battle, I'd encourage you to get a hold of that song and just, just let that song play over you and, and be reminded that the battle truly does belong to the Lord our God. But as, as before he, he started to sing that, he set it up by telling a story from the Old Testament. He said it was one of his favorite stories. And, and when I hear something, someone's favorite story, I'm like kind of skeptical. Are you really just saying that? But the more he went on, I'm like, I really believe this is probably his favorite story in the Old Testament. 
telling the story of a battle where the Israelites were coming up against just a massive army, a huge army, and they knew they were going to be obliterated. And then this great king, Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, he, he can see, it's over, we're done. And he's promised by God that, that God is going to fight for them. They don't have to fight this battle, God is going to fight for them. And so what they decide to do in the process is, is they say, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to actually, rather than putting the best of our warriors up front, the, the best weaponry that we have up front, we're going to put our worship leaders up front. We're going we're to have the choir directors and the singers and everybody else right up front. They're going to be the ones that lead the battle. And I had to laugh because, you know, Phil Wickham's up there, and I don't know how tall and big this guy is, but this isn't exactly a guy that you'd probably want at the front of a battle line, right? You know, you want somebody big and burly, and, and he's standing next to Pat Barrett, and they're both saying, yeah, we're not exactly the biggest guys. And then Brandon, he, Brandon Lake, I'm like, yeah, we'd, we'd go to battle with him. That's great. But, but the bottom line is he, God fought for them. They didn't have to lift a weapon. They didn't have to do anything. God fought for them, and the battle was won. And, and in hearing that story and in listening to that song again, I'm like, boy, we don't, we don't really believe that all the time. We don't really believe that all the time. We don't really believe that God is the one who wants to fight the battle for us. And it reminded me of a story that, that I love. And I can say, it is, it is definitely one of my favorites in the Old Testament, and it's, and it's ever so familiar. You know the story. You know the story of Israel being taunted day after day after day by the leader of the army of the Philistines. The Philistines were just their nonstop nemesis. They were a thorn, just a thorn in the flesh. And in this particular season, there, there's, this, there's this one leader of their army who's... who's the Bible tells us this guy stands nine foot six. You thought your kid was tall. Nine foot six, big, big guy. And he comes out every day and reminds Israel that he's there to fight and someone needs to stand up and get into the battle. Someone needs to do this. And day after day after day, he throws out the taunt, not just at the army, but he throws out a taunt at their God. Your God is not powerful enough to take me. You don't have the power to win this battle. Day after day after day, this is taking place. And, and the Bible literally in, in 1 Samuel 17 gives us a, a meanwhile back on the ranch. Meanwhile back on the ranch, Jesse's talking to his youngest son, who just a chapter before has been anointed the new king of Israel. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go take some supplies to your brothers. Go see how they're doing there in the battle. And so David shows up. And he comes, and he comes right at the time, right at the time that this giant is out there making his daily taunt. And you can see David. David's kind of, he's, he's not just watching the giant, but he's, he's watching the army. Because, because these, are his, these are his heroes. These are his heroes. And they serve the living God. And he's like, Who gonna, who's going to step up and fight this guy? Who's going to take him? And instead they're all cowering and they're retreating. They're not going into the battle. And he, he doesn't understand and he's asking people about this. And, and I love it because his oldest brother, Eliab, the guy who just a chapter before, Samuel thought, here's the next king of Israel. And God said, man, you only care about how a guy looks. I look at hearts. That's how I choose my leaders. I look at hearts. He was, he was passed over. The oldest was passed over for his youngest brother. 
as an oldest, we don't take that very well. I got to tell you, that kind of, that stings a little bit, right? So that sting is still fresh in his heart. And here David shows up and he's asking these questions. And, and the oldest does what oldest does. He puts the youngest in his place. Come on, would, would you stop being a punk? Would you, would, you, would you just shut up? You, don't, you haven't been around. You don't know what's going on. You're just a show off. Go back and take care of dad's sheep for crying out loud. Get out of here. David can't stand it. He is a man full of passion, full of passion. And, and he looks at this, and, and he gets an audience with King Saul. King Saul, who, by the way, is doing what he does best, hiding, hiding in his tent, far away from the battle. He's hiding. He goes to King Saul, and he says, if nobody else is going to fight, I'm here. Let's go. And I'm sure Saul looks at him with a very skeptical eye. And, and, and David, as this, as this youngest kid, does feel the need to say, hey, I've got some credentials in this. I've killed a lion and a bear with my bare hands. Crying aloud, some of us won't kill a spider with our bare hands. Here he is ripping the mouth of a bear apart and doing it with his bare hands, not even with a weapon. And I don't know if Saul <coughs> says, Yay, finally, someone who will fight. Or if Saul goes, what a fool. He's going to be fodder for the giant. We might as well give up. This is going to go on forever. We might as well just be taken captive. Whatever it is, he says, you do it. Because this guy, David, not only believes that Israel should take this giant, David believes that the honor of God is being tarnished. It's being stained. And something needs to be done. He's passionate about it. So Saul decides he's going to equip him for the battle, puts his, puts his armor on him, way too big, doesn't, you can't wear somebody else's armor. Uh, at some point you're going to come to, in, to a realization in life that you can't be someone else. You're you. You can't put on someone else's armor. He does what he does best. He goes down to a brook and he picks up five stones, just five little stones, that's it, five stones, puts them in his pouch, says, let's go. I'm sure everybody's kind of like, wait, what? This kid? Okay. And, and, and you, can, you can see it in your mind. You can see this massive nine-foot-six tall giant and this pipsqueak kid out there in his shepherd outfit. Goliath can't believe it. I mean, he's just like laughing. Really? This is your best? And I'm not kidding. This guy, he's in the middle of taunt and all of a sudden, boop. He feels something in the middle of his forehead that sends him into eternity. He's done. He's dead. He's gone. One stone is all it took. One stone. And the giant falls. Now, I go to that story this morning for two reasons. One, I think every time you look at this story, and it's such a familiar story, there's so many angles you can take. And one of the angles you can take is to just look at, look at the personalities of the people in the story and the way God uses a person's personality. Look at, our personality, is, it's the essence of us, right? It's who we are, and it determines how we'll do things. It, it really, it determines sometimes what we'll do. You can pretty much count on, based on the way a person is wired, whether or not they're going to be the one to step up and volunteer for battle, or if they're going to say, I think I'll just stay in my tent. And you look at the, you look at the main characters in the story, Goliath. This is a guy all his life who was bigger than everybody he knew. He depended on one thing, his physical attributes. This guy is a bully because he could be a bully. Because he could, he could literally stand above you and just go, boom, and you'd be down. He relied on, on physical ability, his physical dominance to dominate other people. You look at Eliab, that oldest brother. 
the oldest brother, who just a chapter before was told, not you, you won't be king. Your little brother will be king. Got some, got some jealousy brewing in there. Got, maybe got some longing. I, I suspect that when he sees David take down Goliath, he's wondering, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I step, why didn't I step up and do that? And of course, that part of the oldest brother that feels the need to tell the others, this is the way we, just be quiet, okay? Just, just step back and be quiet. Be, be, remind people of their place. We, of course, have King Saul. You can pretty much count on from day one meeting Saul that this is a guy that's not going to stand up to giants. He's not going to do it. At his inauguration, he's hiding in the wagon, for crying aloud. He won't even come out and say, I'm here ready to be king. He's always hiding, always afraid. His, his, his key line of his inauguration speech would have been, out of an abundance of caution. Everything about him was, live in fear. Don't you dare take a courageous step. And then we have David. This kid, this teenager, who's oozing with passion. He has such passion for God. Here's the thing. He still believes the Bible stories. He's not like some of us who have gone, eh, neat, but. He, be he believes. When, when, it says, when the Bible says God parted the Red Sea, he can see it in his mind. He believes in this God with passion. And so when he hears his God being insulted, he can't stand it. He can't stand for it. And he says, if nobody else would do this, I'm here, I'm up for the battle. Our personality is the essence of us. It determines the way we do things. It determines our choices, what we'll do. All the way around, we can look at a personality and get a pretty good idea. That's how that person would operate in this particular circumstance. And every once in a while, every once in a while, we'll even surprise ourselves and do something that's outside of our personality. But for the most part, we have a flow, we have a lane, and we stick with it. Personalities matter. The other reason I pull out this story this morning is because as, as we were as a church about to move out of a building that we had been in for 40 years, a well-established place, a place of comfort and safety for us, and as we were about to move into a school for we didn't know how long, we spent some time talking about David, talking about going down to the brook and gathering five smooth stones that we'd need for the battle that we faced. And, and those five smooth stones weren't just a tool. They were pieces of the personality of our church. They were pieces of our wiring that were, that were really starting to grow and come into fruition. And so we, we looked at those five and said, when we are at our best, we'll live these to our fullest. And when we're not getting it done, it's because we've ignored these five smooth stones. We've talked so far in this short series about the, uh, the, the, uh, the purpose of our church, that we're about disciple-making. Nothing else. That's it. That is our focus. Nobody else will make disciples. The school doesn't make disciples. The government doesn't make disciples. You can't buy one at Jewel. Nobody else makes disciples. So why would we step into someone else's lane when this is the only thing, the only place that disciples will be made? 
That's our purpose. We lost, talked last week about the process, looking at the early church and the things that they did in order to see disciples happen. And I promise you, all across this town and this area, there are churches who believe in disciple-making and they follow the Acts 2 model, but their personality is different than ours. Their approach is different than ours. Different churches have different personalities. Some churches will have a, a personality that, that leans heavily into like mercy and mercy gifts and mercy ministries. And so everything is about taking care of poor and making sure needs are met. You'll see that personality. Some churches have a personality that just, they're in the program that comes along that they don't love. They're an evangelical franchise and everyone that's out there, they're going to do it and they're going to do it to the best. That's part of their personality. There are churches out there probably more in the past than today, that have a personality that they would claim is excellence, but it's really hyper-perfectionism. Perfectionism to a fault. To a fault that actually it paralyzes people. They wonder when they're going to get yelled at or what's going to happen to them because they didn't do it exactly right. All these different personalities are out there as part of churches. We have a unique personality, and our unique personality says, this is, this is the way we will generally operate. And it also says, you can almost predict, if a, if a challenge comes along, you can look at our personality and know, I've got a pretty good idea of how they're going to handle this, of how our church is going to go about this. So let's look at these personality characteristics today. The first stone that we went to the brook and picked up is the word faithful. God calls us to be a faithful people. There, I don't know that there's a more important element of who we are than that we are a faithful people. We're faithful to our God. We're faithful to each other. We're faithful to when we start ministering somewhere, we stick with it. There's even faithfulness just in terms of you walk around and talk around here and you find people who have been here for 10, 15, 20, and more years. There's a faithfulness to each other. There's a faithfulness to the body. There's a faithfulness to God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. He says he commends faithful to, faithfulness to us as an important quality. Matthew 25, as well as other parts of the Gospels, tell us that there was this master who gave, gave talents, gave money to people, and several of them invested it and one did not. And as each of them came to give an accounting, the master said to the people who invested, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with little things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Faithfulness. Just sticking with it. Being faithful day after day after day. Now i got to admit to you, faithful doesn't look flashy. Faithful isn't, faithful isn't the flavor of the month. Faithful isn't all about excitement and Wow, look at that. Faithful can be kind of boring, to be honest. Just doing the right thing day after day after day after day. When I was started out in ministry, um, I, we were at a, I call it a micro church. It was tiny, and we were struggling. And I was struggling because, you know, everybody that graduates from seminary believes they'll be at a church that goes from 2 to 2,000 in 20 minutes. So uh, that, that, that just wasn't happening. wasn't happening. We grew, but not that much. 
And, and, and I'm struggling. I'm wondering, did I, did I hear the call of God? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing with my life? What? And I came across a book at that time. It was, it was freshly put out by, by a guy who would be considered now a pretty successful pastor. He was the pastor at Wheaton Bible Church. He, he's a speaker. He's an author. He had, some, he had some real prominence. But when he started out in ministry... It was not going well. Everything was going south. And he got pretty depressed. He's wondering, God, do you want me to be doing this or not? The book is called Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. And as he's talking about it, he says, you know, so many churches are they're focused on success. They're focused on, on explosive growth and all these things, adding more, adding more buildings, doing all these things, all these things that are called success. And he, and he said, here's the problem. That's not what God calls us to. And he went through the true calling of people who are called to be a part of a church. And number one was faithful. They're faithful. It's sad when we look at the evangelical landscape right now. The number of pastors in my lifetime that everybody would have said, that's a huge successful pastor and a huge successful church. And the pastor isn't even allowed in the front doors anymore because of the immoral breakdown that happened along the way that they said, sorry, you're, you're not even welcome here anymore. Faithfulness matters more than the pretense of success. We're a church that's about being faithful. Faithful to God and faithful to the task he's given us. Mother Teresa was once asked about her success, and she said, I was never called to be successful. I was called to be faithful. And in my striving to be faithful, my life will be fruitful. And because it is fruitful, you could say I'm successful. Faithfulness. When we look over at John 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Remain in me. Be faithful to being in me. You're going to bear a lot of fruit. Try to grow it on your own. Good luck. It's not going to work. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It says faithfulness, faithfully sticking to what God desires. If you're new to Southfield and you're kind of trying to figure us out, it's one of the things you're going to see time and time and time again. The heart of this church is a faithful church. We're not all about big flash. We're not all about the latest and greatest. We're about faithful to God, faithful to each other, faithful to the task that he's given us. Faithful, the first stone. The second stone is flexible. Flexible. Paps are by nature not flexible in their body. I am glad that while we may not have flexible bodies, God's given us incredibly flexible spirits. He's given us spirits that are willing to, to bend and mold in the moment for the purpose of seeing God's work accomplished. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is talking, and he gives a speech that I'm sure a lot of people are going, I really don't understand a word you just said. But what he, here's what he said. Though I am free and belong to no one. I've made myself a slave to everyone so I can win everybody possible. He goes on to say, to a Jew, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. To win those under the law, even though I'm not under the law, I live like one so that I can win more to Jesus. He says, to the weak, I become weak. To all people, I become anything possible in order that I might win some I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. He says, I am flexible. I am flexible. I'll do what needs to be done in order to reach people for Christ. Now, if you go back in the years for us, I would say that flexibility was not, it wasn't a strong suit. It wasn't even a suit. It wasn't even part of us. 
We, we had brittle bone syndrome. If you'd have given a little bend, we'd have snapped. We were a church that, that was pretty much into, uh, we're going to do what we did yesterday. And don't you dare fool with it. We were, we were going to stick with what we thought worked. We were inflexible. Flexibility is amazing. I had to go to Menards this past week. Uh, for me, the, the, around our garage door, you got the aluminum trim, and then you got that little plastic trim piece that's got the, that's got the seal that keeps the, all the snow from getting in the garage and whatever. They never put that thing on right, and now it just looks like a wreck. It makes us look like a bunch of hobos. So I, I went over to Menards. I want to I replace this thing, get it off there. And, I, I, and so I go on in, and, I, and I, I get the parts, and two of them are seven feet long, and one of them is one of them 16 feet long. I got a van. I know my van is not 16 feet long. I mean, I just, I know. It's, it's shorter than that. This isn't going to work. What am I going to do? And on the way over, I'm thinking, am I going to have some out the front, some out of the back? Is it going to blow in the wind? Is it going to crack? What's going to happen? So I get on in there, and, and, and I, I take this 16-foot piece of, piece of uh, molding, and I pick it up. And as I pick it up, the ends aren't coming up. And I pick it up, and I pick it up, and I pick it up. I literally lifted it this high over my head, and both the ends were still touching the ground. And I said, I can work with this. I can work with this. And that thing did a nice little scoopy inside of the van. Boom, it worked. It was flexible. Are you flexible? I got news for you. If you're involved in leading a ministry around Southfield and you're not flexible, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be frustrated. We are flexible people. We do what needs to be done. Now, here's where we're not flexible. This does not change. This to, we, we don't morph the message to meet the times. We don't, we don't morph what the Bible says about anything in order to meet the times. But we have to find different ways to say it, new ways to communicate it, new methods to make sure that it gets out to the world. Faithful and flexible, both are part of who we are. The third is the word focused. We're a focused church. We're not, we're not frazzled, we're not frenetic, we're not all over the place, let's try this, let's do that, let's throw some sketty on the wall, see if it sticks. There's a focus. And the primary focus is making disciples. The primary focus is Jesus himself. You have in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews saying, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He gives us three areas of focus. If you're going to run, you've got to be focused. Let me put it this way. If you're going to win, you've got to be focused. You can run and, and pick daisies along the way and check out the turtle that's in your path and do all that stuff. But if you want to win, you've got to be focused. What do we focus on? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. If our eyes as a church aren't fixed on Jesus, we're totally missing the mark. It's got to be Jesus all the time, fixing our eyes on Jesus. In fact, a little later in the passage, it says, consider him who, in, who endured such opposition. I love that word, because when I hear fix my eyes, I feel like I'm, I'm running a race, and there's, there's the marker, there's the, there's the finish line. But when I think consider him, I'm just, I'm just stopping and thinking about what would Jesus do, what would Jesus say, how would he live, and how should I live in light of that? Consider him. It says, I'm going to focus on Jesus. Second, it says, I'm going to focus on the race. 
I'm going to remember that I'm running a race. I'm not going to kind of jaunt over here and do a little of this and do a little of that. I'm going to run with perseverance the race marked out for me. I'm going to make sure that I continue to follow and run step after step after step with intense focus. And then he says there's another area of focus. We need to focus on the things that are stopping us from running well, and we need to eliminate them. The sin that so easily entangles us, we need to see it and we need to eliminate it. We run with clear focus. I think as you spend some time around Southfield, you find that it's a pretty focused church. Faithful, flexible, focused. And then comes my personal favorite, fearless. Fearless. We are a fearless church. You don't believe it? You need to be with us for the past two years. We are a fearless church. We don't don't foolishly ignore what's going on around us, but fear is not going to be our driving factor. Fear will never be our driving factor. If you think the most important thing your church does for you is keep you safe, you're at the wrong church. If you think Jesus is the the most important thing Jesus does for you is keep you safe, you have the wrong Savior. If you think God the Father, if you think his primary objective is your safety, you have the wrong God. He's not into our safety. He sent his son to die. He didn't send his son and say, I'll do everything I can to make sure you don't get hurt. He sent him to a stable to be born. You should have been at the hospitals we were at when our children were born. There weren't no sheep, no goats. There there wasn't any manure on the ground. There wasn't old used straw. For crying out loud, they told me to wash my hands like 35 times. They made me suit up like a Martian in order to watch my baby being born. Fearless. Fearless. When Paul is talking to Timothy, he recognizes this is a kid who's driven by fear. And fear makes us do bad things. Fear makes us make bad choices. He said, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but power, love, and self-discipline. John, this disciple who is so close to Jesus, says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels fear. We saw it earlier as we came back from, from being shut down for a bit. When we looked at the life of Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be very strong and very courageous. Obey my commands. Study the book of the law. Meditate it on it day and night. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We will never make decisions out of fear. We don't do that. We don't do that. Why? Because we're reckless? No. Why why are we told that we do not have to be fearful? Because we are not alone. Because the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. Even in his purpose statement, he says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. You're not alone. There is no reason to fear. And there's certainly no reason to live a life that is driven by fear. Faithful, flexible, focused, fearless, The last one doesn't sound spiritual, but it's part of who we are, and that is fun. We want to have fun doing it. We want to have fun doing ministry. We want to have fun being part of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, we all have different definitions of fun, right? 
My fun, your fun, I promise you, are very different. For me, it's fun to weed a garden. You're like, oh, you are sick. You know, but we all have different definitions of fun. We, we have a couple of professors of fun around here. Brian's a professor of fun. John Beaker, professor of fun. They know how to have a good time. They know how to have fun. And I'm sure there are a few of you as well that know how to have fun. I think, I think when it comes to church, man, God, God wants us to have fun, but it's probably a little different than we think sometimes. Proverbs 15, 13 says, A glad heart makes a happy face. A broken heart crushes the spirit. Saying, there needs to be gladness bubbling onto that face. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. Here's where the fun comes in for me. Third epistle that John writes. Little book, only a chapter. He's writing and he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You want to see the smile spread across my face? It's when I think of people who came here in their late teens and early 20s who are now in their, in their 40s and they're leading ministries. And I look and I say, the growth, the growth that I've got a chance to be a part of through the years is phenomenal. That's fun. God wants us to have fun doing ministry. And honestly, if, if you're a person that's furrow-browed, if you're always you know, angry as you're leading, as you're, as you're doing those things, you're going to have a tough time around here. You're going to have a tough time because, because we want this. There's a spirit of fun that needs to fill everything we do. These, these are the five stones that we went down to the brook and picked up as we moved out. And what's happened that's so beautiful is God has grown that in us. He's grown that spirit in us, and this is who we are. Now, who we are then determines the choices we make, what we'll do. Who we are determines how we'll do it. Who we are is determined some of our core values. Values like this one, one of my favorites. It's not about me. It's not about me. Years ago, as a church, we did Purpose Driven Life together, and that opening line of the book, I think he says, it's not about you. And, we, and we, we turned it a little bit. It's not about me. It was on our church's front wall. It's not about me. What does that mean? It's all about Jesus. It's about other people. It's about lost people. We don't just focus on the flock. We focus on, we, we focus on the field. We don't just focus on the 99. We focus on the one. We make sure that we're constantly saying, it's not about me. And if it becomes about me, I become my own idol. Everything about us says we've got our eyes away from us. The second our eyes start tilting toward ourselves, we're missing the mark. We've gotten off focus. We're, 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 not, we're not being flexible. All, those, all these personality pieces are part of that. The second one, we aspire to be authentic. There are a lot of churches they are going to have in their slogan, whatever, we want to be real, we want to be authentic, we want to be all that. And you walk around and go, really, What? Because it doesn't feel very real. You will find a real spirit in this church. I think some of that just comes from, we still have, we just have good old-fashioned blue-collar roots. I grew up blue-collar, and I've pastored a blue-collar church. I know some of you have jobs that would not be considered blue-collar. Nonetheless, there's a blue-collar spirit that is part of this place. I'll tell you what, my dad, my dad could not tolerate a phony. Phonies, it, it, they just, they made his skin crawl. Fake didn't work for him. People who put on airs, it didn't work. They were real. If you invited me to dinner, I'm the same guy standing here. There is, there is, no, there is no duplicity between one or the other. We try to be authentic. 
And, and we're always aspiring toward that. Another piece of how our personality impacts us, we invite people to come here as they are. You don't get cleaned up first. Church I grew up in, oh, they give lectures about if you don't show up in the right clothes, you better go home and get changed and come back. And that went beyond clothes to spirit and heart. If you're not cleaned up before you come to Jesus, get out of the room. We come to Jesus to get cleaned up. We come to Jesus to receive grace. Come as you are. But there's not a period after that. It's not come as you are, stay as you are. It's come as you are and be ready to be transformed. Be ready to become who Jesus wants you to become. The fourth one is so important to us. It really comes out of our heritage in the 20s and 30s, and that is that we speak this generation's language. On a Sunday morning, you won't hear me throwing out a bunch of Christianese. The primary version of the Bible that we use is American English. We try to do what we can to speak to this generation now. We, when we came here, our church was speaking the language of, of Warden June Cleaver and not Dan and Roseanne Barr. You know, we, we, had this, we had this distance going on. You had to, you had to get into a, a, time, a time capsule and, and, and travel back in order to worship God. We speak this generation's language and we'll continue to do that along the way, making sure not that we're morphing the message, but that we can be understood in what we're saying. Finally, we give our best and we give our all. Flows out of all five of those personality pieces. We're not one of these churches that says, eh, that's good enough for God. Equally, we're not a church that says, you better get it perfect or don't even try. Your best and my best are different. Your all and my all are different. We bring our best and we bring our all to God. That's our personality. That's our personality. It shows you how we do the process and it shows you how we pursue our purpose. And God, I pray that as our personality continues to grow through the years, as more people are added to this body, that we will remain faithful to you, faithful to the task that you've given us, that we will always be flexible. And in the moments that we're not flexible, we will repent of our inflexibility. And we'll be focused, focused on the race and the author and perfecter of our faith. God, help us to be fearless. There's so much to be afraid of these days. Let fear not be the dominating factor in our decisions. And let us have fun while we do it. Knowing that, that us doing your work brings you great joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you make the walk to communion this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something that I worked, asked the worship team to do the other night. Though they had to do it out loud, you don't have to. As you walk to communion today, I want you to think about your own personality, your own wiring, the way God has uniquely made you. David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Some people hear that fearfully and like, yeah, I know, I'm scared of me. No. He, another way to say it, I am wonderfully complex. How has God wired you uniquely? What piece of your wiring, as you walk to and back from communion today, can you say to God, thank you, for making me that way. Thank you for that piece of my personality. Thank you, God. So, two tables at the front and two at the back, gluten-free on either side of the platform as well as one at the back. Uh, let's go to... Your good, good Father, the 
For better or worse, there are parts of your personality that are formed by the family into which you were born. Some of those personality traits are great, and some of them are a complete mess, because we're born into broken, fallen families. But as Christ followers, we're part of a perfect family. We have a good father, a perfect father. We have a son and a brother in Jesus who is willing to sacrifice everything, who is willing to bend down and wash the feet of other people he created. And we have a Holy Spirit who is dynamic and powerful and active. That's our family. And we get to reflect that family to a lost and dying world. Mordecai in the Old Testament said to his niece, who knows that you are not put in the earth for just such a time as this, I'm convinced that we're here now, 2021, this part of Illinois, because God wants us here for just such a time as this. And so this week, we get to go out and reflect faithfulness to a world that doesn't know what faithful means. We get to show flexibility where everybody's breaking apart because they're so rigid. We get to show a focus on God and on others in a world that is just in a million different directions. You get to demonstrate a fearlessness this week while others cower at whatever may come their way, and you get to have fun doing it. That smile on your face, that cheerfulness when everybody else is melting down, their heads are blowing off and falling apart, and you're sitting there laughing, they're going, oh no, She's finally lost her mind. He's finally fallen off the rocker. No, we're living Jesus. We're living, we're reflecting our family. Don't forget your dad. Don't forget his son, your brother. Don't forget the spirit. Now let's go reflect who we really are as a family of God. We'll see you next week.